series just in this month of May to do some practical things. I tried to encourage you last week out of the life of Caleb that we would live lives of courageous faith, that we would be those that are getting stronger as we get older, not weaker, not more cynical, not uh, less vocal in our love for Jesus and in our adventures that we have with Him, but more and more so as we get older. Why? Because God has made us promises as a church, and we want to move into the fullness of the promises that God has for us. And so if you weren't here last week, I really want to encourage you to um, listen on the podcast. And today, I want to just look at two things this morning, what it means to lay out treasure in heaven, and then next week, I'm going to look more at not being anxious, right? Because we're going to look at this scripture in Matthew 6, and there are two encouragements that Jesus gives us. To lay up treasures in heaven, we're going to look at what that means this morning. And secondly, next week, we are going to look at what it means not to be anxious. Because Jesus is so kind and gracious, isn't he? He doesn't just give us a command. We will see when we read the scripture. He doesn't just give us a command. He gives us eight practical ways that we can learn not to be anxious about anything. Isn't that beautiful? So if you're an anxious person, if you tend to worry about the future about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, whether you're going to manage with your finances. If you are that kind of person, come back next week full of faith to hear how Jesus can encourage you not to be anxious about anything. And that we can live a radical Christian life free from fear, free from worry, simply trusting our Father in heaven who is good to us all the time. Amen? All right. Okay, and um, before we read this uh, story the scripture this morning, I'm going to start with a little story. You might have heard it before, and as I was just preparing this week, I realized that I've turned into my father, because this is a story that I think I heard my dad use many, many years ago. It's a very, um, it's just a little humorous story about three little boys boasting about their dads. You know that boys boast about their fathers? And so the first little boy says, my dad writes a few short lines on paper, He calls it a poem, he sends it away, he gets hundreds of pounds back for the poem being published. And then the second little guy says, well, my dad, he makes some dots on a piece of paper, a piece of musical sheet, he sends it away, and he gets thousands of pounds back for the songs that he writes. And the third little boy says, oh, that's nothing. My dad writes a sermon down on paper, preaches it, and the people, there's so much money, you have to have baskets to gather it all in. (laughs) <laughs> Funny, it was that easy, eh? Anyway, so uh, in memory of my dad. So let's read then um, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. If you've got your Bible, it says this. Do not lay for yourselves up treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Can I say that again? Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? Then why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious. (laughs) Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, they seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is so uh, full of your heart towards us. And I thank you, Lord, that your heart towards us is that we should live anxious-free lives. And as we um, look to the future, I pray, Lord, in every single person, every single family in this church, you would sow into us a faith in your goodness and a faith in your grace that we would not be anxious about anything. Lord, that's my prayer for these next couple of weeks, that you'd help us to live fear-free in every area of our lives, especially in the area of money that can cause such anxiety for so many people. Father, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your goodness and that you're always kind towards us. And that's what's deep in our hearts. And so I pray in a practical way you'll help us to trust you in the area of finances for our lives and for this church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The reason that I want to speak to you this morning and in the next couple of weeks is obviously because it's the end of the financial year. But uh, as an introduction, I just want to say that uh, in the last couple of years, I've tried my best to lay a biblical theology, a foundation for us in how we should view our money as believers, and that in all things, every area of our lives, including our giving, we are motivated by God's grace in our lives. And all of these things are available on the podcast, so if you need to refresh yourself, then please um, do that, because the the, the message this morning has a context. And first, remember R.T. Kendall, three years, four years ago now, preached an outstanding message on tithing, and I am still of the conviction that that is the basis for our giving, and that's a foundation for growing generosity in our our lives, is, is, is the tithe. And I would put it this way, if you want a little catchphrase, tithing is a good floor for our, our giving, but it's a poor ceiling. It's a good floor, it's the foundation for our giving, but it's a poor ceiling. 
and we, I've, I've spoken to you often about Jesus encouraging us to a radical giving in our lives in every area of our lives. And the, the foundation of that is the tithe. And so moving on from RT's message, I preached a message called The Grace of Giving. I hope you remember that. Which further explored this idea that the, there's a fruit of God's grace in our lives that enables us to be generous. It's a fruit of grace in, in your life that you can be generous. And one of the evidences of grace in our lives is that we are generous, that we live generously. It's a fruit of God's grace. And there's so many other evidences of God's generosity in our lives that we can grow in. Patience. Kindness. Learning to listen. If that's a grace. Do you know that? It's an evidence of God's grace. If you're always cutting in on everyone else's conversation, perhaps we can, you need to grow a little bit in the grace of God that you're a good listener, hearing what people has to say. I don't accuse anyone. I'm just saying that's the story of my life as well. We can grow in all of these things. They are evidences of God's grace. Kindness, patience, long-suffering, learning to listen to people. It's evidence of God's grace in our lives. Thinking the best of someone, not the worst. Yeah? And then last, uh, last year I preached two messages, one, one called financial partnership and the other called towards tithing and beyond to generosity. And I have really tried to do my best to uh, give a biblical foundation to free you as God's people, first of all, to free you from compulsion in terms of giving, that you don't feel under legalism to give. But at the same time, I, tr- I hope to inspire every one of us towards a chosen generosity and a growing generosity that is motivated by the grace of God. That giving becomes a priority for us because we love Jesus. And I want to say this kindly, generosity doesn't happen automatically. <laughs> you don't wake up one day suddenly being generous. It's something that you grow in. And the first thing that we have to grow in, all of us, is to n- the knowledge of what enables us to be generous in anything. And the, the thing that enables us to be generous in anything is that God has been so generous to us. He's been so kind to us. He's been so gracious to us. He's forgiven our sin. He's washed us as white as snow. He's, he doesn't remember anything that has come between us in terms of our sin. He has been incredibly generous to us. And because He's been so generous to me, I can be generous to you. Because He's forgiven me so much, I can forgive you. Because God doesn't hold a grudge against me, I can live free not holding a grudge against you. This is the grace of God made plain in our lives. It's very practical. So I want to just ask you, if you find it hard to say sorry, if you find it hard to forgive other people, do you really know God's forgiveness for yourself? Because when you know God's complete radical forgiveness for yourself, then you can say, extend that to everybody else. This is how it works. And so I want to speak to you um, this morning on this portion, which gives us two underlying values that enables us to live generously. And we all have this journey in our lives that we, te- that we can begin to embark on, to learn to be generous in every area of our lives by the grace of God. Not by anyone sitting on our shoulders saying, do this, do that, don't do that. Just by God's Holy Spirit motivating us from the inside. And so, these are the two things that I um, want to preach at. And I am excited to preach these things to you for at least three reasons, and here they are. If I speak to you about money and possessions and living free in terms of how you give, I'm in good company. And the, I'm in the best company, really, because I'm in the company of Jesus. <laughs> and uh, Randy Al- Alcorn is a wonderful writer. He wrote 
a book called The Treasure Principle, and uh, if I encourage you to get it. And he points out that if you look at this New Testament scripture, 15% of everything that Jesus spoke about related to money and possessions. Do you know that Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven or hell? <laughs> Jesus was very practical. And so Jesus spoke about 15% of the New Testament is about money and giving. Here's some things I just want to read for you. Bear with me. Listen to what Jesus said. One thing you lack... Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Mark 10. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Woe to you rich, for you have received your consolation. Luke 6, 20. Whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 14. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 18, 25. A person's life does not consist in the possessions that he has, of the possessions that he has. Luke twelve fifteen, we read this morning. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew six. Sell your possessions and give alms. Provide yourselves with purses in heaven or money bags in heaven. Luke twelve. Uh, Zacchaeus, I love the story of Zacchaeus when he gets saved. The first thing he does, his heart is changed and he starts to be generous. The stingy man who was withholding money all the time, ripping people off, gets saved. Instantly, he repays everyone. He says, uh, Luke 19, Behold, half of my goods I give to the poor. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. What about Matthew 13? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had to buy the field. Luke 21. I'm nearly finished. Two more. Luke 12. But God said to the man who had built even bigger barns, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and all the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and not riches towards God. Luke 12. And then lastly, Luke 9.58. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus said, follow me. Now when I read through these scriptures, it seems to me that Jesus, over and over, he has a relentless pursuit in his, in his, in his heart, in his mind, a radical call to an un uncompromising lifestyle in our lives, and a dangerous generosity. It says of the widow, it says, she put in all that she had. Jesus calls us to a dangerous generosity. And as I've told you before, one time Jesus, when he's fighting with the Pharisees, he, he points them to the Old Testament minimum of giving a tithe and a tenth of, inco of, of income, and he endorses it, and he says, you should have done that. You tithe your, you, you tithe your, your spices, and you tithe all these things, and he says, you should, that's right, you should have. He endorses it. And then he says, but you've neglected the weightier matter of the law, which is justice and mercy. And he says, you must do both. Don't forget the one. Do both. And so I'm good company when I preach about money and positions because Jesus is my example. And secondly, what about Abraham, the father of our faith, the prototype Christian, the one who was a Christian before Jesus ever came? It was part of his life just to be generous and give at least a tenth of his income. He sowed in that way. And what about um, the book of Acts, the New Testament, radical New Testament church? 
first century church. Let me read you Acts 2.45. Selling their possessions, they gave all that they had, distributing the proceeds to anyone who had need. These New Testament Christians, were, they were radical. They lived a radical lifestyle. And so I point to Jesus, I point to Abraham, I point to the New Testament church, and I point to Paul, the apostle, who said this, in severe tests of affliction, the abundance of joy and the extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. And that's out of uh, encouraging the Corinthian church. And he says, God loves a cheerful giver. Corinthians 8 and Corinthians 9. What about our study of James? Remember James? The flower fades and its beauty perishes, so it will be with the rich man who fades away in the midst of his pursuits. James 1.11. So I'm happy. I'm happy. I know that I'm in good company when I preach to you about, about the subject this morning. Secondly, I'm happy to preach about it with this dream. Perhaps it could be the thing that God uses to release an absolute flood of money for mercy ministry, for missions, and for the poor. Perhaps it could be the thing. (laughs) So I'm happy to preach it. If we as a church, as a local church, and I put it to you, if the whole Christian church was gripped with a radical life, a radical desire in their lives, and an open-handed, liberal generosity that Jesus taught, and if we tasted the freedom that Jesus promises, and we lived free of fear, if we did those things, I promise you, I'm convinced that there would be an avalanche of finances released for the poor and for mercy ministry. But you see, we have to win this battle, don't we, of being fear from, free from anxiety, because anxiety governs our lives. And when you are anxious you will not learn to be generous. And so uh, this is my prayer, that we would win this battle, all of us, in our hearts. And uh, I, I just look at the, the world at the moment. We prayed for Nepal. I've got some friends, uh, a couple called Raman and Kiran, who are in Nepal. That's where they minister. They're pastors. And uh, my friends, uh, Ali and Jason Shields, in, in, who live up in Dublin, they were with Raman and Kiran for many, many years. They're in the midst of that disaster. I want to put it to you that perhaps something we can do very practically is take up an offering as quickly as possible and get some money to them. If you haven't already given to Nepal, I want to encourage you, we're going to do that in the next couple of weeks. Why? Because we have been given much in our nation, my friends, we have. And whether we feel rich or not, we are rich. And what does Jesus say in Luke 12, 48? Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. There's a sense that our hearts have to be gripped for things that are outside of our, our particular community and environment. So I believe that we can respond with faith to this message that I'm preaching this morning and God can release an avalanche, a flood for all that He needs to do in the world through the church. And what about all those people fleeing Africa and coming across the Mediterranean? What about them drowning in the sea? I'm not trying to make you feel... Guilty, but sometimes we, we can get so consumed with our little lives, can't we? And we have so much. We have so much that we can release through our lives. And I, I believe, you know, Hudson Taylor, you remember Hudson Taylor? He said this, God's work done in God's way will not lack God's means of support. If we do God's work in His way, He releases money for us. And that's purely, uh, that's what I say, I'm saying this morning. And then thirdly, so, I'm in good company. 
Secondly, our trust is going to release something for the kingdom as I preach this. And thirdly, giving people are the happiest people on the face of the planet. They are. If you're not happy, give a little. Give yourself away. Give yourself in relationship. Give yourself in generous friendship. Give yourself away, and I promise you, you will become a happy person. And that includes finances. Stingy people are the most miserable people on the world, on the face of the planet. They are. You can just sense it around them. Giving people are happy people. And I want to put it to you this morning, if you can grasp what I'm saying by the power of the Holy Spirit, in spite of difficulties that you might be going through in your life, and I'm not minimizing those, we all go through hardship, we all face difficult things. I have to say the testimony of my life and others that I know is that when you are generous, when you sow to the kingdom, God always takes care of you. Always. God loves you. You know me. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I'm telling you that God loves you and He'll take care of you if you can learn not to live anxious. And I'm preaching to myself because I also get anxious. But trust in His goodness. He will, he will provide for you. He's faithful. Proverbs 14, 21. Happy is he who is gracious to the poor. You want to be a little bit more happy in your life? Give something away. We have a little thing in our house. I'm not putting this on you. But when we buy new clothes, we always give our old ones away. Always. Why? Because I've learned this. Your cupboard can only contain so many shirts. And your, your cupboard can only have so many pairs of shoes. And you can't wear them all every day. <laughs> so give them away to someone who needs them. Come on now. This is how we live free. When possessions are not, we don't hold on to them, we hold them lightly. Proverbs 22 verse 9. He is generous will be blessed. What about Paul writing to Timothy 1 Timothy 6 9. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a trap into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Acts 20, 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I promise you these things are true. Why? Because they're in God's words. And His word is always true. So, I'm not angry with you, eh? And can I just say this? Looking back on my life, I long that every young person in this church would learn this quickly. And if those of you that are older in this church, that you'd learn this lesson before it's too late. Because there's no positive correlation between having lots of things and being very happy. There's no correlation between the two. A simple life, governing your spending, and a growing passion for the kingdom to advance the kingdom through generosity and giving if you, if you put that in as a mark in your life, you will be far more happy than if you were living an absolute life of luxury. So I plead to you this morning, and I plead to you, especially the teenagers and the young single people in this community, that you learn this lesson quickly, because these are the unfortunate statistics that the young are much less likely to give than the old, and that single people are much less likely to give than married people. That is just the statistics. And I hope that in this church you would prove those statistics wrong. In Christ, you don't need to be old. You don't need to be married to be smart and Christ-like. You just need the voice of God to speak to you and to hear it and obey. That's it. So I'm happy to speak to you about these things this morning. One, 
because of the company of Jesus and Paul and Abraham and the others. I stand in their company. Secondly, because I hope, I trust, God willing, that it will release an avalanche of money for the poor and for what is needed to be done in the, in the, in the world. And thirdly, for your own sake, <laughs> if you embrace the call, that you might be happy and live a life of generosity and fulfillment as you live for other people. Yeah? So, let's turn to the portion. There are three commands in that portion. Very simple, very joyful commands. And like I said, I'm going to focus today on storing up treasures in heaven, and the next week I'm going to focus on not being anxious. These are the three commands. Lay up up for yourself treasure in heaven, found in verse 20. And uh, you can put it in another positive or negative way. Some translations say, do not lay up treasure for yourself on earth. Um, that's the negative way of saying what I'm just saying. Lay up, your, up for yourself treasures in heaven. Secondly, do not, act, do not be anxious. It's said three times. Uh, in verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. Verse uh, 31, do not anxious, be anxious saying, what, I sh- sh- what will I eat or drink or wear? And verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. That's the second command. And the third command is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, found in verse 33. So how do those three commands relate to each other? Well, they relate very clearly. And the first, the overarching, the big one that overarches everything is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the overriding command that Jesus gives. In other words, if you are passionate about experiencing the saving grace, the purifying, empowering love of Jesus, the reign of God in your life, all over the world. That's what he's saying you need to be passionate about. In other words, you're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. That's the overarching thing that uh, Paul writes here and says, that's, uh, Jesus, Jesus says that's what we should um, be, be seeking. Seek first the kingdom. That's the big thing. All right? Then he has a practical instance of what it means to seek first the kingdom. And Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. It's a practical way of putting the kingdom first in your life is that practically you lay up treasure in heaven and not on earth. And so what he's saying is that we focus on not being rich here on earth, but being rich in heaven. In other words, rich in God. We sang it this morning. Jesus, you are enough for me. You are my treasure. Heaven is not, this is not my home. Heaven is my home. That's our eternal vision. That's what we're giving our hearts to over our lives. The kingdom. We want Jesus' kingdom to come. And we have to break three. When we, when we seek first the kingdom and we treasure God in our hearts and we're laying up treasure in heaven, we free ourselves from the drag of earth. Have you ever found that the earth drags you down, pulls you back? All the problems of the world, they like, can be a weight around your neck, dragging you down. When we live for eternity, when we live for the kingdom, those things fall off us. We see differently. And then the third thing is this instruction, this command, do not be anxious. It's the condition of the heart. There's the big thing. Seek first the kingdom. Practical demonstration of it is our store of treasure on hev- in heaven, not on earth. And the, th- the, the thing that is in the condition of my heart is that I'm not anxious. That's how we break free from, from addiction to treasures on earth. And we start with a passion focusing our lives on treasure in heaven. And that comes by faith. God frees us from anxiety. And so, those are the three commands. This is what Jesus wants us to be like as Christians. Free from anxiety, seeking His kingdom, 
laying up treasure in heaven and not on earth. And that's the fruit. That's the fruit of trusting Jesus as our Savior and making Jesus our treasure, our, our reward, and uh, living free radically. And then, like I said at the beginning, everything else in those 16 verses, Jesus is so kind, he doesn't just say, get on with it and trust me. He gives us eight practical ways that we can do that. He unpacks it for them, and we're going to look at that next week. So I'm trusting that if you're an anxious kind of person, come back next week, and I'll teach a little bit more on how you can live a radical, anxious, free life of trusting Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? And so today I just want to simply focus on this verse and ask a question. What does it mean to lay up treasure in heaven? Because Jesus commands it. What does it mean? Are you and I doing it? Are we laying up treasure in heaven? Well, it's up to this point, the text has been plain. It has been very clear. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where you, there's no rust and where thieves do not break in and steal. So clearly there's two ways to live. <laughs> One is to live with the view that accumulating things on this earth and valuable things on this earth is the most important thing. That's one way to live. And so you try all your life to get more stuff. Or there's another way to live. It's keeping your eyes on what is in heaven and trying to store up for, stuff, store up for yourself treasure in heaven, not on earth. And it seems to me that uh, from what Jesus is saying here, that there's an everlasting joy with the one and that everlasting joy is not associated with the other. And also that laying up treasure in heaven and on earth are not good bedfellows. They don't go well together. Jesus says, in fact, he says, you can't do both. You either live for the kingdom or you live for treasures on earth. And he puts it very bluntly. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other. And this is what I've found. There's something about money and there's something about God that tends towards mastery. This is what I mean. Either you are mastered by money and you serve it, or and because you are serving money, you ignore God, or you are mastered by God, and because of that, you live completely differently. That's the option you have. Live for money, live for this world, live for your life. That has a certain connotation and a certain thing you will aim at. If you live for Jesus, live for his kingdom, you will aim at something completely different. And the two do not match up. They just don't. So let me be a little bit more specific. You know, sometimes I think... If you're mastered by money, we treat God a bit like a bellhop. You know what a bellhop is? Uh, you've been to a fancy hotel, and there's the, the porter, the bellhop. And what does he do? He takes your luggage, and this is where the word tip originated from. You tip the bellhop. He takes your cases up to the thing. And you, if he does it well and he does it quickly, you give him 10 pounds. Well done. That's how we can treat God sometimes, isn't it? He's the bellhop in our lives. He's the bellhop in our business. If he does a good job, we give him a little tip. Thank you, God. That's how we can live. That's when you're mastered by money. But God doesn't call us to live like that. Uh, he calls us to live devoting our lives to accumulating treasure in heaven. And I'm, I believe it means that we increase our joy in heaven as we give to the kingdom. And so there's several other teachings that Jesus um, brings to confirm what I'm saying this morning, that he wants us to give money away rather than accumulate it. And for example, Luke 12, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old. 
<laughs> with the treasure in heaven that does not fail, where the thief cannot approach and moths cannot destroy it. And very practically, Jesus is demonstrating how do you provide yourself with money bags in heaven that don't grow old? How do you do that? You sell your possessions and you give to the poor. It is radical. That's what Jesus is saying. In other words, if your possessions on earth are not for accumulating, they are for distributing to those in a Christ-honoring way that have need. And that's how you increase your joy in heaven. And when we give, especially when we give so generously that it requires us to sell something, we're showing that God is our treasure more than anything on earth. Do I live like this? No, I don't live like this yet. But I have to preach to myself. This is God's word to me as well as God's word to you. Let it challenge all of us. Let it inspire all of us. And that's why Jesus says in Luke 14, he says, give to those who can't pay you back. Why does he say that? He he explains it. He says, well, because you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus says there is a reward coming. You can't see it now, but it comes for you in eternity. In other words, when you give like this, when you give freely and generously because you trust Jesus to take care of you, you are laying up treasure for yourself in heaven. And this uh, guy that I quoted already, Randy Randy Alcorn, he says this, um, I'm convinced that the greatest deterrent to giving is this, the illusion that heaven, that earth, is our home. The illusion that this earth is our home. That's the greatest deterrent to not giving. We sang it this morning, if Christ is our home, that's why Paul can say, for me to live is Christ, and for me to die is gain. Why? He's a man living not for now, not for here, not for this earth. I enjoy some things on this earth. I do. I love, I love life. But if this is not my home. I'm going to be with Jesus. One day I will be dead and buried, or dead and burned. What do you call it? Cremated. <laughs> and my boys will be living their own lives, and they'll have their own children, and I will pass like a field, like a flower in a field, gone. Very few people will remember. But heaven is my home. That's why I, that's how I want to give myself to live, and I trust you do too. And we lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven as we live differently here on the earth. So I, I want to just say to you, I'm not trying to accuse anybody. I'm just trying to say, can we encourage each other? Can we, can we live differently? Can we motivate each other to live in a radical way for Jesus this year? That's what I'm saying. I've already mentioned uh, the crisis in Nepal, uh, crisis with the immigrants coming over uh, the Mediterranean. These are ongoing things of crisis that the world is always full of. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. There will always be these kind of, kinds of issues. He wasn't saying that to kind of say, well, ignore them. He was saying, I'm telling you that these things are always there so that you can, you can help. You can be those that with your hands and your giving, you can make a difference. So that's my encouragement to all of us this morning. That's how we show practical love and practical care. And so as I think of our church budget, and I'm, I'm coming back to the practical application now of our church budget, the first thing I would love to see increase 
this year in our church budget is to what we give outside of this local church. Outside. Not to what we need to carry on. But the first thing that would increase is our giving outside to other things. To the poor. To Cambodia. To what God has called us to in the world. And I'm confident, not in my own means, and not in, in anything else except this, that if we are, allow ourselves to be gripped with what I'm showing, sharing this morning, and we live radically in this way, without anxiety, trusting our Father in heaven, we can live radically generous in that way, and we can see that happen this year. And second, there are some practical things that we need to get done. Helen was praying the other day, and she felt that God speak to her about um, out of the life of Joseph. And you know, Joseph was told by God that he would, he would be the ruler over, over Egypt. So what did he do? God spoke to him about seven years of famine, seven years of plenty. And when he became prime minister of Egypt, he started to prepare. He had a, a strategy in place and he was diligent with what God had spoken to him so that he could prepare for what God was taking him into. And he surveyed the whole land and he stored up food for those... Um, years that were still to come, that were going to be lean years. And the result of his preparation was that everybody around them was blessed. When the famine came, they could provide for everybody else. And so, in our week of prayer and fasting, there were a number of words that came through at the beginning of the year, and uh, God promised us that we were going to move into a season of increase and expansion. And so, in a reverse kind of way, we want to prepare for the increase that's coming. Yes? We want to prepare. So, we want to be wise, we want to be diligent, and uh, move into the season that is, is coming ahead. So that means enlarging our hearts, first of all, getting things in order, preparing for what God wants to do. I've said this all before, walking by the Spirit. And so we do some practical things. We're praying with the, the ministry leaders about how we can prepare for this increase that God has promised. We want to see many more people saved. We want to see people baptized, brought into the kingdom. And our building is, is such a blessing to us, the space that God has given us here. And uh, we want it to be a home, all right? We want it to be your home that you come into every week. And we want to use it as a home to bless this community. And so we've tried to be as generous as we can with our facility. So I want to ask you to joyfully and prayerfully consider this year what you can do I want, I want you to pray with, together with us and then continue to be faithful in, in, in terms of what you've already been giving. Thank you for your generosity already. We, we don't ever take it for granted. We have what you give. That's it. God provides for this church through the people of this church. And we are very, very grateful for God's provision to us. So I'm going to ask, I think it is appropriate that as we think about these things, we break bread together. Why? Because we're remembering that this is all about Jesus. This is all about His kingdom. That the grace He's lavished upon us enables us to live for other people. And I want to ask you to think about that as you break bread this morning. If you're visiting, we, we are in some ways quite casual in terms of how we, we break bread. We are not irreverent. It's a very serious thing for us. It's something that we do often to remind ourselves of our own need for the gospel what Jesus has done for us and that we need his blood. We need daily his blood in our lives. And so I want to ask you just to consider that this morning as you break bread. We look forward together as a church to the year that lies ahead and we say, Jesus, 
What do you want me to do? Don't worry about anyone else. Just go, what do you want me to do? <clears throat> As we move into the future. All right. I'm going to pray. There are four tables, two on each side. If you'd like to break bread, pray with your, your, your family, your friends this morning. Let's trust God for this year that lies ahead. He's good, yeah? In every way. Father, we want to thank you so much for what you've done for us. I want to pray, Lord, that you'd help us all to learn what it means not to store up treasure on this earth, but to live by storing up treasure in heaven. And Lord, we are frail. Uh, we, we don't always get things right. I know from my own life, Lord, I, I'm not always someone who lives anxious-free. I do get anxious about stuff. But I thank you, Lord, that you would want all of us to learn to live in a way that is not anxious, that does trust you, even when we don't see things in front of our eyes, that we would be those that walk with faith, walk by faith. It's the fullness of what you have for us. And so, Lord, we, we simply, as your people, we come humbly this, this morning and we lay out our lives before you and we lay out the future of this church before you and say, Jesus, help us. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit to take us forward. We need your hand. We can't do this on our own. And so we're asking that you would help us everything that we need so we can increasingly be a church that sows into the nations of the world and into the poor and to the lost and the broken because you've been so kind and generous to us. We pray that you would amaze us with what you do. And from our part, Lord, we want to live generous lives. We want to be those that are consciously living for others in every area, in generosity in every area of our lives. And we, we trust you for that. And I pray, Lord, as we break bread this morning, we remind ourselves, Lord, of our need of you, that we need your body. We need your blood. We need to remind ourselves daily of our own need of the gospel. And so we do that this morning as we break bread together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.